Hey, I'm Ben Silverio. I'm Aaron Klein. And I'm Ansel Birch, your host in post. And, and it's, it's time to party. We are not doctors. We don't give medical <laughs> advice. Please drink responsibly. <laughs> Today's episode was recorded on April 3rd, 2021. You might think that we're singing our own theme song. <laughs> we're actually we're not. not. <laughs> I wonder what our theme song could possibly be in out to. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, party people! Hello, everybody! Welcome to this, the second episode of our series on the classic movie, Back to the Future, Part 3. Yay, uh, Aaron, why did we pick Part 3? Well, Part 3, I think part of the reason that we picked Part 3 is because this is off often the overlooked one this is the one that i feel like when people are asked to name their favorite a lot of times people say the first or second we talked in the last episode about how the second is both of our favorite ones and and also like i haven't seen this one as much as the other ones i've probably seen it 50 times but i've seen it less than the other ones yes (laughs) yeah it it doesn't get enough love you know uh people will just be like oh that one's not as good but it it really is. It, it's just it totally as good is. as the other two. Oh, absolutely. It totally is. I feel like it also gets lumped together because there's a you can tell there's a gap in filming between the first and second ones because there actually is a gap. There were yep. like five years between that. Whereas they shot the second and the third one like basically back to back. I think right. there were a couple of things that overlapped actually. Some of the it scenes. Was, it was. They were shot back to back. They were yeah, shot at the like, same time. That's, and so it... You can feel that. It it definitely feels like these two movies are a group. And like the first one feels like a separate movie in lots of ways. And so I think a lot of people feel like, oh, the first and the second one, you can just kind of be done after that. But like the third one is so important to Doc's character and to Marty's like actual growth. Like the first one is about Marty, like getting the physical things that he wants. And the second one is about realizing like, his connection to people and starting to like understand that he needs to grow as a person in order to like connect meaningfully. And then the third one is about like really solidifying those. Like you strip away all the personal possessions, you strip away all of the people around you that you have like real, like it's not like your parents, like seeing your distant relative is amazing and would be very cool, but it's really different than interacting with like people who you interact with in your present state also. And so I feel like as the third one, we get to see the like really essential character of both Marty and doc. And as an adult, I love that. I think it's cool. And like, I I've really warmed to this movie as I've gotten older. And I'm really glad that we chose this because I feel like it really reaffirmed my love for the third one in a way I like didn't really realize. Absolutely. And just like seeing all of these things that were set up in the other movies finally pay off, you know, in interesting ways, uh, you don't get that without part three. Mm-hmm. So we're here today to be advocates for Back to the Future part three, even though some people won't be. <laughs> also, hot take, you could watch this one on its own and it would mm-hmm. still make total sense. But like, there's things about it, obviously, that it's helpful to have seen the first two. You don't really have to. Like, if yes. you like westerns and you've never seen the Back to the Future movies, just watch the third one. They tell you what's happening at the beginning. You get like a really succinct update on what's going on. Basically, like, you don't need to have watched the other ones. I didn't watch the other ones before I watched it. I could have because I love them. But I was just like, even starting at that time, I was like, oh, this is this is great. Like, this is a great explanation about where exactly we are in this story. Yes. 
Um, so to start, I think I want to spotlight Robert Zemeckis and his really creative shots. You know, he ha- he has these very dynamic moments, you know, that he captures. Like there's a there's there's a moment in Doc's shop or you know what barn house thing <laughs> yeah, uh, like weird barn living area his living court living quarters i think yes. is probably the way that you he loves those. living in in like a weird garage <laughs> yeah because he wants to be- build a bunch of weird shit from i wrote that down actually like of course doc wants to go to the old west where he's forced to build a rube goldberg machine in order to make ice like this is his fucking dream is to do shit it's like true. this like he wants the space to be able to do it and you can have a train loud machine and no one cares like people truly didn't give a shit what you did they just accept it because that's Mm -hmm. what goes on back then yeah exactly Mm -hmm. so in this scene marty is realizing that oh fuck we need gas and the camera it's like you're seeing it from marty's point of view so you see doc but doc is standing next to a mirror so you see marty's expression too yes that double shot of them standing in front of the mirror is so good it's so good like yes you're right he does a lot of really interesting things about especially by the time you get to this movie i feel like he's he knows these characters so well and like the story is so solid that you can kind of play around with that stuff and it doesn't feel jarring even like it just felt seamlessly like yes here's this really interesting composition that doesn't make me feel pulled away from the rest of the movie Yep. He he also does some really interesting things in at the McFly farm because obviously, spoiler alert, Michael <laughs> J. Fox plays Seamus and Marty in the mm. same scene when they're next to each other. But when Seamus hands the baby to Marty, Maggie crosses in front of the mm-hmm. table and in front of the camera. So you don't see the actual exchange, mm-hmm. but like you understand that that's what's happening. Yeah, like and it just your brain into it. Yep, the the way that he shot that is just masterful. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you wouldn't think about it because today it's just like, oh, just have a, a green screen stand in for right. Marty at the point, you know, mm-hmm. but some idiot was... in a morph suit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the baby. Yeah, it's I mean, it's easy to forget now in 2021 that these movies were like revolutionary in how much they used these actors in the same scene especially the second one people were like the the future dinner scene where marty plays his old self and then like two other he plays both of his children in that scene too and like the handing back and forth of that there's a lot of like film history and uh documentaries that talk about this as like this is here there's before these movies where you shot these things and then there's after these movies because they were one of the first movies to use um the way that they do it is a fixed point set. And so like everything on the set is glued into place so it can't move. And then you shoot one half of the scene and then you shoot the second half of the scene and then you like seam them together. And like Zvex is like one of the first people that did a whole movie like that. Yes. And I mean, it revolutionized film. It changed it in like really dramatic ways. And if we didn't have this as like the forward touch point, like twinning in movies wouldn't be like it is today. Yeah, Zemeckis is truly a pioneer with some mm-hmm. of these techniques. For sure. I have a note that just says solid moonwalk. 
<laughs> it's a good moonwalk. I love that everybody mm. stops dead in their tracks like, what the fuck is this? Because that's how people reacted when Michael Jackson did it for the first time. People were like blown away by it. And we forget like, oh, yeah, it's not ubiquitous. People didn't people had never seen this before. And it would feel like magic. Like, oh, I just there's so many good pieces like that. Oh, also, I forgot to say this at the beginning. I watched this in the 4K UHD, which I had never watched before. Highly, highly recommend it. Yeah. It was, I've seen this movie so many times, like, I could tell immediately, like, oh, this is much higher quality than I've watched this in before. It's stunning. And there's, I think, objectively, the third one is the best one to watch in 4K like this, because the shots of the horses running are stunning like just absolutely beautiful and watching the way that the color is shot against the background you can see it in such higher detail you get a really good sense for how smart robert zemeckis was at planning out this stuff like the way that marty's clothes originally look against the background of like a desert city it's so sharp and clear that that's the contrast that he's trying to make it was just beautiful i just really recommend watching it in 4k if you get an opportunity and have the kind of tv where you can do that it was just really cool it made me feel like i was watching this movie for the first time again because it felt like a new experience it was just so beautiful and the special effects all hold up in the remaster yes absolutely there were only a couple of times where i was like "Mm." (laughs) you can tell that this was definitely a green screen specifically when they're on the train crawling over the woods pile into the like engine car you can tell like this is a movie set <laughs> they're on like a fake train because of the way the smokestack is shot against the background but honestly that was the only time it really drew my attention every other time i felt like it held up super super well i mean it's a lot of practical mm-hmm. effects not yeah, surprised absolutely. That's, it, that stuff is timeless it will always look like that like mm-hmm. that's we have the technology to clean up film that wasn't super high quality when it was recorded but those effects will look the same even when they're cleaned up like oh it's so good you yeah. practical effects they're the best they're pretty awesome uh i i couldn't decide how i wanted to watch the movie because like i believe it's streaming on netflix but i have it on dvd it is not oh it's not it used to be (laughs) it's netflix they change shit all the time that's true um yeah i have it on vhs dvd blu-ray and laserdisc do you even have a laserdisc player (laughs) i do but it's not plugged in okay fair enough fair enough i have vhs's i cannot play because i don't have a vhs player anymore i i have one of those but i don't know if it works because i don't have the proper uh hookups yet oh Mm. bobby keeps telling me that he'll help me find them and i keep forgetting to bring it up but you know you gotta (laughs) yeah well maybe one day we can uh hang out and watch back to the future on vhs (laughs) that'd be fun like old days oh there you go. old days <laughs> old days that we can get back to soon because we're all getting vaccinated i know i'm so excited oh my god <sighs> host and post here popping in just to say oof i'd also like to spotlight the performances in this movie because christopher lloyd is is a oh, national treasure so good he's so good. so good in this movie yes i totally agree uh Christopher Lloyd is good in every yes, movie. Absolutely. There, there are some movies where he is the only good part, but he is definitely an amazing part of every project oh, he's yes. ever been in. Um, like when you his cast Christopher wide... Lloyd, you know what you're getting. 
And yeah. like you cast Christopher mm-hmm. Lloyd for Christopher Lloyd. And like he nails it every fucking time. Yeah. Uh, I listened to his recent appearance on Mark Marin's podcast. And apparently he just did a movie where he gets to do like action-y scenes. You know, even <laughs> at, at this advanced age. How old is he? Oh, God. How old I is he? I have to know. Actually? I must know how old this man is now. <laughs> Because he was like in his 50s when they did Back to the Future, I believe. Born in 1938. Yeah, so he would have been like just about 50 when they did these. Okay. He's pretty old. That's pretty old to be doing. Yeah, he's 82. That's pretty old to be doing action movies, but like. That's fine, I guess. Whatever. Mae West wrestled until she fucking died, basically. So uh, you can do whatever you want as long as you take care of your body and are rich. So whatever. (laughs) Um, But like there's a moment when he meets Clara and he has these big puppy dog eyes. But like because I know him from other stuff, like... It, it was almost scary to see Doc in love because he looked like uh, Judge Doom for a second. <laughs> you know, but it's just like, but little things that he does will like either make it really creepy and wants to kill all the tunes, or I'm in love with this lady that I just met. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. little things in his performance. I think too, you also get this like wide range of Doc in this movie that you don't really in the yep. other ones because you get to experience like, the like confusion and anger on doc's behalf about the mystery of how he's murdered and also the mystery of who is this beloved Clara and watching that transformation. Like this plot is about Marty getting back. Yes. But also like it is a mystery about who murders doc and the mystery of who Clara is. And, and of course they won't fall in love because doc is doc. And so to watch that like immediate transformation too is very stark. And I think is so well done. Like it feels believable, like love at first sight. Don't don't particularly believe in it myself, but like they, these characters in this, like, Oh yes, you're destined to be together. These two people are supposed to wind up together. And also like, it makes sense. She's supposed to be dead. She shouldn't be out gallivanting around with people who should be part of this timeline because it could irrevocably fuck things up. And so it makes sense that this woman who is not fated to live throughout this time and this man who doesn't belong here are drawn to each other. They recognize in each other, we both don't belong here. And I think they both do such a great job of conveying that. They Like, I I love it. I love the scene where he rescues her. I love the scene where he's like flustered while he's giving her her telescope uh, at her doorway. I love when she comes and they like awkwardly flirt and Marty's like, ah, 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 let's get the fuck out of here. Like, I love it. I love yeah. that she's also like, like Doc is dumb. I love him, and he's he's very smart in many ways. But he's also an idiot. Like 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 we were talking in the drinking game. Like he's a huge hypocrite. He is fucking with this timeline in like really really significant ways, and he should definitely know better. And she's also kind of an idiot. Like she's so convinced that none of what he says can be true. And even when she literally picks up a car labeled time machine, she's like, I still don't know. I wha- what? She's like this woman climbs over a moving train car to get to doc brown and like okay you two belong together (laughs) that's this man who hung from a clock tower and you woman who has known this man for a week and is willing to literally die for him in this moment like you're right you belong together you two should be (laughs) together forever (laughs) 
But Emmett, Jules Verne only published that story, like, so many years ago. He only wrote it ten years ago. Ah, I meant it made me feel like a boy. Did it? (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you meant? (laughs) Mary Steenburgen is just so good. She's so good in this. I love the casting choice to have a totally new person. That it's not someone from the rest of the series done up as as different. Like, it's really clear Doc was alone. Doc. We also see her come into town and that she should have died. Like she's new in town and unrelated to the plot previous. It is explained in the situation how she is a new character in this like closed loop. Right. Exactly. I like I like that a lot. And I thought it was a really good choice. And also like Mary Steenburgen doesn't look like the rest of the cast. She doesn't look like someone who belongs in the first or second movie. Like she doesn't fit visually with those people. And so she stands out as a different new character, but fits in this context. I feel like because we get a lot of new townspeople and like smaller characters in this, it's easier to accept. Like here's this totally new character even though she still like stands out among the rest of the cast there. I mean, Mary Steenburgen is a striking looking woman. And so I feel like that's part of it. Like the choice of that is good, but also like, I like that she just appears like she, she shouldn't be connected to anything else. She should be a fully new character in this time. And they nail it. She's also styled differently from Mm -hmm. everybody else. And like, she wears those like bright colors and she has a lot of, she feels like she is out of time. She doesn't feel like she belongs in this time in the same way that like Marty doesn't when he first arrives and, and pieces of doc don't either. Even when doc is dressed the part, he still doesn't feel like he fits here because he doesn't. Something that I wrote down in my notes, uh, when Marty and doc are preparing to send Marty back to 1885, uh, and Marty's like, Oh, maybe it's a different Emmett Brown. And doc mentions, no, the Browns were the Von Braun's. Mm hmm. Uh, so were, were Doc's ancestors Nazis? Is that oh, where going? Absolutely. That's exactly what I thought when they said that. And it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is why you are comfortable being... That's a recent yeah. change. Yeah, like, okay. oh, okay. You were comfortable being uh, on the run and a scientist, probably because it's in your blood. <laughs> yeah. Your ancestors probably did the same thing. Yeah, I had never noticed that before. And it immediately stood out to me this time. Like, oh, yep. this was... Likewise. This was for the parents. <laughs> this is for the people in 1985 who had just lived through that war. That's, I yeah, I was surprised by it. There's a lot of stuff in this that holds up really well in ways yes. that I was just like not expecting at all. Yeah, you know, learning all of these little details about, you know, Doc Brown's family and Marty McFly's family. Like, the McFly's kept going west instead of staying in New York. Mm-hmm. Like, good for them, you know, for, for looking for more. You know, I guess like not to say that the the Irish who stayed in New York, you know, had it totally bad. I mean, yeah, they did. I mean, they uh, did. <laughs> they totally did. But like it wasn't great out west either. Historically, just saying. Well, yeah, that's the whole deal. Sure. I feel like the McFlies are like the symbol for McFlies in 1985. The McFlies in 1955 and the McFlies in 1985 are like the symbol of the American dream. They're the ones yes. who are constantly like yearning for more. They're like all it takes is hard work and you just got to put in the time and like then things will just happen for you. Like that's the McFlies are the American dream. Like that's their whole deal is that they're they're an idealized thing that's unreachable. <laughs> yeah. I also wrote in my notes that Doc Brown and Walt Disney would have probably uh, bonded, especially over Jules Verne and trains. Oh my God. Yeah. They would have been like best friends. Like 100%. Doc, 
Yes, Doc would have totally loved Epcot. Oh, oh. yeah, one hundred percent. I feel like Walt Disney would have abused Doc Brown personally, but <sighs> yeah, I mean that's like Walt Disney's whole thing. So <laughs> I don't know that that's like a departure from other people, but I agree. <laughs> like, like Doc Brown would have been one of those people who like launched Tomorrowland that Walt just like built his ideas off of. And... Oh yeah, for sure. And Doc would be like, whatever, I don't care. And then in the 90s, someone would find reference to him and we'd finally find out who made Tomorrowland. And, you know, the modern modern Disney would be like, oh, yeah, look at us celebrate this guy. That we definitely wanted to before and not because you've all dug this up. I've recently been watching a ton of these like histories of theme park rides and Disney experiences and Disney parks and stuff. So the, the most recent one that I watched, I believe it was from Yesterworld. Uh, it was about the the unmade pavilions in Epcot. And apparently there was supposed to be a Philippines pavilion. Oh. And I had no idea. And I'm like, what? This was supposed to be a thing? That would have been so cool. Ah, <sighs> Disney. There were so many, like, planned uh, expansions to the World Showcase that just, like, didn't happen because of money or, you know, yeah. various Michael Eisner related things. <laughs> shocking yeah right <laughs> oh did michael eisner fuck something up uh, weird uh, i don't understand <laughs> strange 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 <laughs> like they promised africa and like it's weird that there's not an africa that there's nothing right? from africa it's exactly. super bizarre there's, there's a reason well it's racism <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> yeah oh, that's i was I was going to mention this earlier when you were talking about the shots um, and the like creative eye of Robert Zemeckis. Mm -hmm. There is a shot in this at the end when Clara is leaving and she's like running away where she's standing at the train and the train is coming on. It is like a direct shot for shot reference of Anna Karenina, which I think is really clever and really smart because in that moment in Anna Karenina, spoilers, if you've never read or seen Anna Karenina, she throws herself in front of the train and dies because she's heartbroken. And that in that moment, that's what it felt like that they were going for. It was this moment of, is Clara going to kill herself? Is she going to fling herself in front of this train? Like I, I really liked that. And I thought it was really I mean, it's a PG movie. Obviously, she's not going to do that. But I like that there's this, like, moment of tension that they create visually. And I thought they just did a great job with that. I read a note of it. and was like, I have to make sure I remember this. Yeah, you know, the, the combination of Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale just putting in all these, you know, these things to set up different aspects of the story are just so masterfully done. Like, mm -hmm. in the script, you have all of these foreshadowing moments from earlier in the series that you don't realize are foreshadowing moments until you finally get there like mm -hmm. you, you you put the gun on the wall and you show it and then you don't use it until the third movie mm -hmm. like i'm a crack shot at this you know yeah they do a really good job of building up like marty already has the skills for this oh also he in alternate 1984 watched this clint eastwood movie right before all of this stuff happened and so it's like fresh in his mind because it was only like a fucking week ago basically that yep. he watched Clint Eastwood do this thing and then like to adopt that moniker and like have the literally crash into a stove and watch this door fall off like Marty's a dumb himbo but like he can put one and one together occasionally <laughs> <laughs> very occasionally <laughs> but I agree I think they do a really good job of like setting that stuff up so that it like blossoms in the third movie they they do a really good job of like paying pretty much everything off. I don't I feel like there's not really anything that gets left open that they don't address in the third movie. 
aside from George McFly. Fair. (laughs) George McFly is wrapped up in the second movie. He's upside down. That's it. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, I didn't even think about that. I could have done that for edutainment about people's likenesses and how you're not allowed to use them in movies without their permission because, uh, oh my God, I'm totally blanking on his name. Um, Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover, like, sued the shit out of Universal and was like, how dare you use my image without my permission? And, like, you would think that that would have been a law for a long time, but uh, turns out Back to the Future 2 is the reason that you can't just use someone in a movie without their permission. Who would have known? Yep. I didn't know this. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they used uh, Crispin Glover's footage from the first movie in the second movie, even though he had explicitly said, I don't want to be involved with this project. And so he sued the fuck out of them for like $32 million and won. The judge was like, yeah, you can't just use him and not pay him. Like, that's not, it's not going to work like that. And so they used a different actor for the second one. And that's why he's suspended upside down and in the old makeup so that it's like not immediately recognizable that it's him. But when they show him waving at the end of the second movie, like Chris McGlover wasn't compensated for that. And so they sued the fuck out of Universal. Yep. And that's why we had those laws. I believe like Crispin Glover has since made up with Robert Zemeckis, but not yes. Bob Gale. I think you're right. I think I'm almost positive he and Zemeckis have made up, but I mean, I don't blame him, man. This is a huge franchise. He said, I don't want to be involved and they used him anyway. Like, that's fucked up. Don't do that. That's not good. I mean, Star Wars has done it. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Star Wars, those makes you like sign away all your shit. (laughs) That's true. You sign on. Oh, no, you're in Star Wars now. (laughs) Yeah, like that's the whole yeah you have to do that it's the same thing with like mcu and the avengers like they can use that footage of you forever that belongs even death will not free you from star wars Uh, no no it won't (laughs) however in the mcu to give them credit at least uh when hugo weaving decided not to continue they did recast the red skull um and they i mean granted the guy does a phenomenal impression of hugo weaving but Uh it's not him yeah yeah it's a very good hugo weaving impression yeah yes although once you know it's not him you could tell yeah well next time you watch yeah next time you see back to the future 2 you'll know that the guy hanging upside down is not crispin glover right (laughs) now you've clocked it you'll know (laughs) i mean i knew that that wasn't crispin glover the the Mm. thing i didn't know was about the the piece oh about him suing them yeah yeah that's these movies are cultural touch points for lots of reasons. And it's like weird shit like this, <laughs> like revolutionize the way that you do two characters being twinning in the same movie, changed movie laws and changed the way that contracts are written in yep. movies forever because of the way that back to the future two was made. Like these are just like staples in American cinema in a way that it's just they're It's weird. They're like almost like cult movies, but they're so popular that they're not really cult movies. Right. Yeah. I have a really good friend, one of my best friends who, who was in my wedding, has never seen any of them. He just what? he grew up in a like community that didn't watch them and he never had a reason to. And now as an adult, he's like, I don't know. I just don't think I would like them. I'm like, oh, that makes me real sad. Yeah. Uh, but I get it. I understand. Yep. We all have uh, we all have our own different yeah. experiences. Exactly. <laughs> There's lots of... I don't like Westerns. How, who am I to judge anybody? Every, yeah. <laughs> it feels like everyone loves Westerns. 
Except for me. Oh, speaking Except of Westerns. Except this one. <laughs> um, Warwick and I rewatched A Million Ways to Die in the West, and there is a Back to the Future shout out in that movie. Ooh. I mean, there would um, have to be. Yeah, because Seth MacFarlane is a, is a big nerd. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's like his whole thing is that he's a big nerd. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene where you see this like lightning coming from a from a, a a shop living you know one of those things from a building from from and a doc brown place from a doc brown place exactly <laughs> and living and, quarters yes and so McFarlane just pops his head in and he's just like what are you doing and he's just like a weather experiment as he's covering <laughs> up the delorean <laughs> nice <laughs> like i i have a theory that this happens in uh during back to the future three right before marty and doc head back so it kind of like fits into the timeline interesting i like <laughs> that oh, i love universe tie-ins yes they're the best uh and a million ways to die in the west happens to have like a few of them which is like so random like jamie fox shows up as Django uh oh, in a scene <laughs> that's strange <laughs> yeah but That's that movie weird. is a lot more fun than I remember it being. <laughs> uh, but we're not talking about that movie. We're okay, talking about Back yeah, to the Future Back Part the future. 3. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I think I know the answer to this already. Uh, and the listeners probably know already, too, considering how highly we're how speaking of it. Yeah. Does Back to the Future Part 3 stand the test of time? Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. And, you know, something that I wanted to bring up in this episode specifically about how it holds, it stands the test of time Uh there are no gay jokes in this movie. This is a movie made in the late, the mid eighties to late eighties and the early nineties. And Michael J. Fox is a little dude. And they like make a comment about him being like, a. I, I wrote it down. They said, uh, you're a gussied up egg sucking, which like close. Maybe if you like really wanted to twist that into a gay joke, maybe you could, but like they don't. And I, I feel like that's one of the things that makes this movie feel very timeless is that it's a story that you can hear about. It's about uplifting yourself and the people around you and it holds up. And like, I think a huge part of it is that it doesn't take pot shots at people. Yes. It never feels like there are not black people in these movies and there should be. And like that other than the band, like, and people who are in like service roles. And I feel like in that sense it because it's set in the fifties, that's a huge part of it. But I feel like the decision to not include black people in like any part of the future, basically, except for the mayor is, it sucks. And I feel like that is definitely something that, that is a mark against these movies. But like as a general story, I feel like is easy to be universally adoptable because it doesn't do gross shit like there's yeah. not there's not racism it even the scene of about marty arriving and calling them indians like that is language that does not hold up specifically but even that scene that's like kind of weird and feels sort of racist at first is really about how the settlers and the the like colony people are chasing the natives off of the land and like you don't yeah. realize that at first and so it feels kind of like weird and racist but even outside of that like it's shot in a loving way like every shot of the like natives on the horses is beautiful it's not like they're savages who are trying to like kill marty or anything like that's not what's happening in yeah. those scenes and so i think it's worth mentioning that like 
the only real people of color in this are probably not really people of color. They're stunt people dressed up to look like natives and like that sucks and should and should not be like that, obviously. But outside of that, there's not really gross shit. Like I said, there's not gay jokes. There's not really even like all the scenes with women. There's like it's not like women are dumb assholes who deserve to be abused. Like that's not how these movies were made. And I think it was a really smart and out of time choice for the time that they were made that makes them feel timeless. Now, Mm -hmm. 30 years later. Definitely. Like there was only that one moment that stood out to me, uh, where that guy in the saloon was like, where'd you get that shirt? It looks like he took it off one of them Chinese. Yes, you're right. That, that was the like other line that I wrote down too. But that's like yeah, specifically like it, about. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it it was it was specifically about you know being a, a a colorful shirt. You know, really, it wasn't like a race thing. It was just like, oh, he probably got it from someone in the Orient. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah, it it didn't punch down. You know, it yes, it, it I was agree. very loving in its portrayal of all these times, even though that there were terrible things going on with people of color around these times also like they talk about the railroad being built and there weren't that many Asians in that town, but mm-hmm. like it, it wasn't malicious, you know, they didn't leave them out, you know, just mm-hmm. to be like, Oh fuck these people. But yeah, I, I thought that they wrote a fine line of, we're not including anyone really of color because of the times that we've chosen to set these movies and the towns that we're telling these stories about are very white which is a choice. Like it's a choice that the writers and the directors made. And again, it's 1985. So it's a less surprising choice maybe, but I think it's a, it is a surprising choice that, like you said, they don't choose to punch down on like basically anybody, like even like the McFly family in the first movie are, are lower class. Like they're, they're not dirt poor, but they're poor. They're a poor American family, even for a white family. And they never really, there's like the implication that they're like trash, but even that they don't really spend a lot of time like punching down about the fact that they're like economically not at a great place. And I think that's also surprising for a movie made at the time that these were made. Like they make a lot of really considerate choices to not punch down at people, which as an adult in the 2020s, I appreciate even more having rewatched these and not feeling like at any point I had to like, Ugh, I have to like reset my squick on on the like like watching you don't a John have to spend Hughes a whole movie. lot of time being like, well, it was the nineties. Yeah, exactly. Like there are pieces of that where it's like, okay, they definitely made these decisions because it was the nineties, but even that I feel like they did a good job of. But like I was gonna say, like watching a John Hughes movie, I like can't really do anymore. I find I I'm like really uncomfortable by a lot of the humor because a lot of it is punched down and a lot of it is fucking dated in like lots of gross racist and misogynist ways and even when those movies are fun it it's just like i spent a lot of time justifying it like oh well it was a time that this was made and like back to the future never feels that way yep it doesn't it feels like you could pick that movie up and watch it now and it doesn't feel like a movie that was made in the 80s it, like I think you could introduce that to someone now and have them guess when it was made. And I don't think people would guess the 80s. I'm pretty sure that they would guess closer to the 2000s only because of like 
the way people look like you just look like the, that's the same thing. Like if you show someone something from like the thirties and forties, people can kind of like generally identify that because people just look different. And so I think that more than anything would identify this as a movie not made today, but like, that's kind of it. Like they're, they make really deliberate choices to make it stylized in a way that feels timeless. Yep. You know, like I've, I've come to realize that as I've, as I've gotten older, I've, enjoyed less and less comedy that punches down mm -hmm. you know i recently rewatched galaxy quest and that made me want to rewatch uh fanboys and the thing about fanboys that pe that like people don't really talk about it that much anymore you know like it, i remember a bunch of my friends really loving it and i remember liking it a lot too but it punches down at star trek you know um and that doesn't have to be the case you know, mm -hmm. Galaxy Quest uses their fans almost as like another character. Yeah, it's a yes. love letter to the fans. It is a it love is. letter yes, to the fans. Totally. Yes, mm -hmm. and and you don't need that kind of punching down comedy, uh, you know, to to make your movie funny. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, and in in Back to the Future, you have like Marty who picks up a, a pie tray. Oh, frisbee, far out. And then uh, Seamus and Maggie are like. What's the meaning of that? It was right there in front of him. It was right in front of his face. Like, yeah, they they do really clever things about, again, for the time it was made, really surprising things and choices that, that feel like fun and simple in a way that don't punch down. It's, I just appreciate this movie more and more every time I watch it, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, getting, I don't know whether it's just the, the pandemic or me being weird, which is a lot of the case a lot of the time six but, like, of one half thinking, dozen of the other <laughs> yeah you know like i've been thinking a lot about legacy and and what you leave behind and you know the the things will be remembered for and just hearing or well seeing doc brown's story uh, about his legacy you know mm -hmm. like uh th there's just so many good moments in this movie where you can really take a lot away from it you know, uh, in terms of filmmaking, in terms of being a decent person, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He, Doc ch charges head first into saving this woman that's in peril, mm -hmm. you know? And we, on, on, on the flip side, we have people who will stand at a door and close it as someone's getting beat up on the sidewalk on mm -hmm. their way to church. Yeah. You know, like, there are moments in this movie that, paints the best version of people yes mm -hmm. and and that element is part of its persisting nature i think that's mm -hmm. why even though it's not a cult classic there's almost like a cult-like following behind back to the future yes and you have all of those moments like in 2015 where people would get together and you know cosplay at uh at lone pines mall mm -hmm. or go to the wild west sets and like mm -hmm. do all of that crazy stuff that they did around that time it's mm -hmm. it's beloved by many and there's a good reason for it yeah absolutely i feel like it just tells such a relatable story about like rising up and being the best person that you can be and it's it's timeless it's, i don't know how i will just continue to say that over and over because i love this movie so much and like everybody should watch these movies but like yes. i do genuinely feel like they hold up in a way that i even i'm surprised by i don't feel like i have to make excuses for these as a product of their time in any way they just hold up really well 
Yep. No long duck dung here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's... Ah, they just do such a good job. Like, a surprisingly good job for when they were made. It's... I just love it. Hell yes. <sighs> Heck yes. Cool. Now now um, that we've adequately gushed about... Yeah, now that we've Back just, like, talked about how amazing three. this movie is and how great this franchise is and how, you know, it has this great cultural impact. You know, yada, yada, yada. All that good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we really hope that you'll check out this movie if you haven't seen it. Uh, yeah. All three of them are phenomenal and deserve like yeah. all of the accolades. If you feel like, man, I love the first and second one, but I just could never really get into the third one. Like, watch it again. Just like, uh, I, I cannot recommend enough watching it again and just giving it another chance. It's just such a good movie. It just yeah. holds up in, in so many surprising ways. Well, on that note, everybody, yeah. until next week, when we'll be taking you down a lazy river of edutainment about, I don't know, to make a wild guess, I'm going to say probably the Back to the Future ride. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. That's one of the things we'll be talking about. <laughs> but until then, you can find us on the internet. I'm at NYD Urgency on Instagram. I am at BSilverio20 on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Indecisionist on Twitter and at The Indecisionist on Instagram. You can interact with us using the hashtag time to party. That's time. The number two party. Special thanks to April Moralba for our podcast art and to Marlon Longit of Marlon and the Shakes for our amazing theme song. This has been an Indecisionist production. Yeah, and party people, you know, here we are, your friends in time. You're really going to try to make them your friends in time thing. I want it to work. It's not happening. It's not organic. I I don't know why. Stop trying to make fetch work. But like, can I just say that I love that line? Like, I almost want to change my email signature to yours in time or your friend in time. I love that. Your friend in time. I like that. That's really pleasant. Yeah, right? It's real pleasant. It's kind of hopeful, too. Like, eventually you'll like me. Yeah, your friend (laughs) in time. Oh, my God. That's how I should have... Should have ended that uh, fellowship application. Then they definitely would have gotten back to me. I am inevitable. Threat. <laughs> oh. oh my god. <laughs> Friends, we hope this wasn't too heavy for you. Oh. You know, if it god if it damn. was, if it was, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Until then, be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. And then they spin. And then they spin. (laughs) Uh, Bye, everybody.